We're going to start the meeting for the Housing and Community Development Commission for June 17th of 2021. So the items on, oh, do we do, do we do roll call first? I forgot. Not usually. Oh, okay. So the, that was the first item on the agenda, call to order. Sorry, we didn't do this one month and it's like I already forgot what we <laughs> Okay, second item on the agenda is the consideration of the meeting minutes of April 15th of 2021. And does anybody, um, oh no, we need a motion to approve the minutes, right? Right? Yeah. I'll move to approve the minutes. Thank you, Matt. Do we need okay. a <laughs> That was me. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the min minutes are approved. And um, are there any comments for the minutes? No? Okay. So we're going to move to the uh, fourth item on the agenda, and that's the review and con consideration. Um, of recommendation to the City Council on approval of the Iowa City Housing Authority annual plan for the fiscal year 21. Hey, the Maria, Iowa oh, can yeah. We, can we back up just really quick and just do a quick vote on the minutes and just make sure there's no objections oh. or anything? Oh, yes. I'm so sorry. Yes. You're okay. Um, so let's do a roll call to, to do the voting. Do you want to read names or should I? Uh, do you want to read them? Yeah. Sure. Let me see who we have. Um, Kyle? Approve. Maria? Approve. Matt? Approve. Megan? Yes. Nasser? Yes. And Peter? Are you Peter, there, Peter? You're <laughs> I think we have quorum still okay. without Peter, so we can keep moving. But okay, this is you see, I I know I don't want to make too many comments out of the um, you know the agenda, but this is one of the things that I was thinking that in the in Robert's rules of order you just say you know if the meetings are approved and then you need to vote on the meet, meeting minutes you they are just automatically approved and then you move to the next thing if nobody you know if there are no comments but but it's okay yeah we can always revisit that if we want to add that to the bylaws we can yeah i i don't mind i mean voting is good it's just an observation okay so now now we can move to the next uh, item, which is item fourth on the agenda. And now we're gonna um, review and uh, consider recommendation to the city council on approval of the Iowa City Housing Authority annual plan for the fiscal year 21. Okay, so now I've thrown you way off. We skip <laughs> public comment. <laughs> oh, oh, wait, where are the public comments? Where am I reading? Am I- Sorry, I interrupted you. I think it ruined the flow. No. Oh, I jumped. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And this is the first time that we're being recorded. I'm like, I'm, I'm making a mess. Okay. Sorry. So we did the number one was call to order. Then number two was consideration of the meeting minutes. We voted and now we move to number three and it's public comments on items not on the agenda. So does anybody from the public has any comments that they would like to address? It looks like Sarah Barron's here, so I'm going to go ahead and promote her. Hi, everyone. Um, thanks for the opportunity to speak. I got so nervous I was going to get skipped. Um, okay, Megan, I see you changed the spelling of your name and that makes me laugh. Okay, sorry. Um, I just wanted to say hello. As you know, I've been providing you all with updates 
about how the Iowa Rent and Utility Assistance rollout is going. And I've come before you in previous months with some kind of dire news about how long it was taking. And, um, and so now today I'd like to share a much more positive update, which is that about a month ago, the state contracted with our um, local community action program, HACAP and others throughout the state to process the applications that have been submitted since the end of March. And we are starting to hear from a lot of tenants and landlords that they are receiving payment for back rent. And I know that many payments have gone out to utility providers as well for back payments. The reason this is so important um, is because number one, tenants need to have their rent paid, landlords need to receive those rents, but also the eviction moratorium is coming to an end. So on June 30th, that moratorium is scheduled to end. And when it ends, um, people will no longer be protected from eviction if they've been unable to pay their rent because of COVID loss of income. So we are working so hard to ensure that um, everyone who is eligible is able to apply for this assistance, that we're working um, to sort through those records where maybe both the landlord and the tenant have applied, but their, their applications haven't been matched up with each other. So it comes across as an incomplete application. Um, and then helping people to do all the different steps they need to do to get that final payment issued. Um, we are still putting a lot of time into this, but it's been so incredibly great to see people um, recognize that all of a sudden this, you know, five months of rent they haven't been able to be paid haven't been able to pay has been settled. Um, and we wanna see that success for all the tenants and landlords in our community. Um, and also we know that there will be some people who are still um, have an eviction filed against them. And so we're also working really quickly to put some other things in place that can help to prevent eviction for non-payment of rent. Um, and that will require a lot of cooperation among tenants, landlords and social services providers but we believe we can do it because we believe that we have number one, the right thing to do on our side, but number two, logic on our side. Um, because um, if an eviction is filed and, and um, if a tenant is evicted, the landlord won't be able to receive that state money to pay the back rent. And we believe it's in everyone's best interest to participate in the program, give it time to work so that people can stay safely housed and landlords can receive the rent that they're owed. Um, so we're going to be working really hard on that. We'll keep you all posted, but I did want to share that good update about the progress that the state has made in getting those rents paid. Uh, just a reminder, this is really an economic stimulus um, for our rental community here. And um, it's not just aid to people who haven't paid their rent, but it really benefits everyone from the tenant to the landlord, to all the people the landlord pays and are really our whole community. So it's in everyone's best interest, whether they're personally behind in their rent or not to support this program and make sure that these dollars come through to the people who need them. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Are, are there any more comments? No, nope, not that I see. Okay. Okay, great. Now, uh, now I can move to item number four, um, which is the review and consideration of, uh, to consider recommendation to the city council on approval of the Iowa City Housing Authority annual plan uh, for 2021. The Iowa City Housing Authority, Authority is required to update the annual plans under the Quality Housing and Work Responsibility Act of 1998. The annual report provides details about current programs, population serve, annual application for grants to support improvement and the ICHA strategy for addressing housing needs of current, currently assisted families and the larger community. So first I need a motion to approve this so we can move it to the floor and discuss. This is Peggy, and I would move. Thank you, Peggy. Uh, thank you. Okay. Now I need a second. I will second. This is Lindy. Thank you, Lindy. Okay, great. So now we can move it to the floor, and we can talk about this. 
Does anyone has any comments to start? I wanted to just introduce Steve Rackus from the Housing Authority. He's on with the city today. So if you have any questions, he can definitely answer. Steve, do you have anything you want to intro with? Uh, yeah, just real quick. I, I know you guys have a, an agenda and some presentations. Don't want to take up too much time. Um, this is called an annual plan. It's, it's really a report. The, the real planning document for the city of Iowa City is the city steps. Uh, the Housing Authority participates in that. HUD requires that we are substantially equivalent. That's not their, that's not their words, but that, um, you know, that, that we are, you know, in step with city steps, if you will. So uh, we, we participate in that process. We invite our uh, clients into that process. So that is the real planning process. And this is just a report. That, that's really all I have to comment, but would be happy to answer anybody's questions. Thank you. Yeah, Kai. Steve, while you're here, I, I mean, obviously Steve and I have worked a lot of years together on affordable housing, <laughs> getting people yeah. in. Um, I think one of the most telling things to me in in the whole report, and it, it seems to be, it seems to be a problem how we view affordable housing in Iowa City, which is this this concept that there's not enough affordable housing. But what I see in the report is there's not enough funds to get people off the wait list to get into the affordable housing that we do have. I mean, I I look today just at our vacancies, and and we're just a, a slight, but in Iowa City alone, I've got. 42 vacant units that are vacant either right now or vacant by August 1st that fall way below the affordable housing rent amounts. And the issue right now for us is there's just not people that have HCV that, that aren't already living somewhere. And, and I just wonder, I know this is just a report and not a plan or part of the steps plan, but you know, we, we, we talk a lot at the city level and we talk a lot in this meeting about how do we how do we produce more affordable housing units? But I mean, I look right now on Heritage and ours and River City and KMB and uh, Nest, and, and there are a lot of units out there that, I mean, we've gone in Iowa City from a 2% vacancy rate to almost double digits. Yeah. You know, which is crazy to think of because the problem, I mean, it's just a problem we have now that we didn't have 10 years ago. How do we yeah. fix that core issue, which is how do we get more HCV vouchers into the hands of these, what is it, I think there's 700 families that are on the wait list right now for vouchers in Iowa City. Well, actually more than that. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that, that, that's in the report. Um, uh, we actually, that number is that because we've pulled people off the waiting list for the first time in over a year. Uh, but you do bring a, up a good point, Kurt, with the vacancies. I mean, we're, we're struggling even with our public housing units where the rent is subsidized. And, you know, you have low-income families that are choosing not to rent our units with the subsidized rent. Well, our units, you know, the newest ones were built in 1995. So we have a lot of one-bathroom units and people are used to two-bathroom units. So you know, we've got a struggle there as well. Um, supposedly within the Biden administration's budget for HUD, uh, they are proposing additional vouchers. Now we did get additional vouchers, emer emergency housing vouchers, but those are for like chronically homeless, you know, people fleeing domestic violence. Um, so, you know, then there's only 69, but there is a promise within the Biden administration to increase the number of vouchers. We just have 1,215, that's it. And, you know, we have enough money to support those 1,215. We've got money to support more than that, but we cannot lease over the number of vouchers that we have. So Kurt, I don't, I don't know what the answer, but again, I think that the difference that what you're talking about is Building affordable housing is very difficult, but the housing choice voucher program is really not an affordable housing program. 
but it's a program that makes housing affordable. And I think HUD is starting to realize that, you know, brick and mortar may not be, you know, the best solution. The best solution is to help people pay for their rent to subs, you know, help subsidize the rent and not necessarily, you know, I mean, you know, we can house, uh, you know, 14, 1500 families for $8 million. You know, how many houses do you get with $8 million? Probably not 1400. Yeah. I mean, it I mean, that's that just was the most you know glaring part of that report to me was just, I mean, like, well, and you know, Steve, I mean, we, we have, we, I mean, we have a glut of empty units in Iowa City yes. that could be getting put to use for people that could get subsidized to be able to afford these places. And, and we run into the same issue, you know, three, be three bedroom, one bath everybody wants three bedroom, three bath or three bedroom, two bath or, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, right. I mean, um, I can't but blame them. I, I bought my yeah. house because it had three full baths. Right. But it is frustrating because I don't know. I don't know where we're at in the city steps, because once again, we write these plans for these five year city steps. And when the city steps program, you know, when that report was put together, the plan was put together. We weren't in the same situation. You know, we weren't no. in the, the vacancy situation. I mean, how how does the city how do we as a city or how do we recommend to city council a uh, I don't know, a hiccup in the step, you know, or a hitch in the step midway through a, a city steps plan that that can help address, you know, address those things. Yeah. And, and Brianna, I mean, you're better at this stuff. Yeah, I would I turn, I would turn all that really back to community <laughs> development. I mean, you know, the yeah. housing authority, our programs are, they are prescriptive. It's, you know, we have right. those regulations to follow. So I would toss it back to Brianna. Yeah, some of that I know we've been talking about. I think it's something we do once a year where we would get feedback on the consolidated plan to see if anything has changed. I mean, normally, I don't think you have a global pandemic in between when you made the plan and um, now, but certainly there'd be some changes and there's opportunity for feedback there. Um, kind of off topic, but I did read a really good book about the voucher program. It was called The Voucher Promise, if you're interested in that at the federal level and some of that policy discussion there, opportunity for improvement, that was worth a read. So, but what I'm hearing here is like, would it help if we had more vouchers? Because what Kylie's saying is like the, the issue also is the, the type of units that we have available, right? That they are available, that they have just one restroom. So if we had more vouchers, but people still wouldn't want those units, would they still be empty i mean would we still have the same issue well Is i would argue issue? that out of, out of the 1200 1200 people on the waiting list i mean even if 300 of them were willing to take a two-bedroom one bath or a, yeah. a a one bedroom one bath i mean we would still be able to get people into homes i mean and steven as steven just stated the issue is they are at a limit of how many vouchers they can give out so then it comes back to the question which we've talked about in here, which is, you know, is there a position for the city to have funds available to create yeah. a, a localized yeah. voucher, voucher program, program. That, yeah. that the city would, you know, the, outside of, you know, the HCV program from a federal level, but I, mean, I don't even know. I don't know how that works. I don't know how, you know, HCV accepted people through, through the HUD program. You know, if the city had a pool of money to you know to to do subsidize I, I don't know I mean that's kind of the question is if we're talking about you know well I know we talked about you know the fee in lieu of stuff and the city doesn't know yet what and I know and is Nasser is Nasser on the housing committee maybe that's Peter. something that maybe Peter is okay maybe Peter can Peter, yeah discuss whether they've had any of those discussions at the housing commission or I think that that's a good point. I don't want to interrupt you, Kyle. I, yeah, I no, appreciate everything you're saying, and we can definitely keep talking about that. But I think we're veering a little bit to where if we want to talk more about this, we should probably put it on an agenda just to be fully disclosing. But um, at the end of meetings now, I think I'm just going to try to make a note to ask you guys what else you want to talk about at the next meeting so we can 
definitely um, continue to discuss that if you want. But if there's more to talk about with this specific report, we can definitely keep going on that. But this is related because what if we like don't want to like make a recommendation to the city council? I mean, maybe Kyle wants to propose some modifications to the report. I, I'm having trouble understanding why are we voting on a city on a recommendation to the city if this is just a report. It's probably right? a HUD requirement, but I'll let it, Steve. And I, I, yeah, I believe it is covered in the housing commission bylaws. Okay. So just like when we have changes to our administrative plan or our admissions and continued occupancy plan for public housing, any policy decisions has to go through HCDC. This is not really policy, but it's a report back out on how you know, policy was implemented. I, I believe this is part of, I think legal determined that th as part of the bylaws, we come to the commission first and then to council second. Okay, so then could we recommend that we, we recommend this report to the city, but also with, uh, with a recommendation that they look into creating a, a local program for, uh, with local money to, to create more vouchers because that's, what we are seeing that it's needed. Kyle, do you think, is that something what, that we could do, Brianna, or? And that, it, that, I guess the question there was whether that would be under the public housing authority's strategies for addressing the housing needs of currently assisted families in the larger community. Yeah. I don't know if this would be something that would fall under the PHA because this would not be something that would currently exist under the under the housing. I, I don't know, I mean, I don't, yeah. would a local, I mean, All of our funding is federal at this point. We, oh, we are we're completely federally funded. No okay. city but money comes we, to the housing authority. But do okay. you, if, if the city had something like that, though, do you think PHA, do you guys think the ICHA as the as our public housing authority would also administer well, I, a city program? Or do you think I, that I would, would end think, up being different? I, yeah, I would think city council would want to keep it in the housing authority. I mean, we're the, we're the staff that's trained. Yeah. But right. Um, right. right now, the number of vouchers that we have also are pushing the upper limits of the number of, you know, households each uh, case manager has. So each case manager right. has about 300 households. More vouchers you know, will require potentially more staff, which adds more cost. Right. I mean, I think what Maria is asking though, is is this something that could be included in that report as a potential, as a potential strategy for addressing the housing needs? I, I guess that's up to the housing <laughs> commission. I haven't looked at your bylaws in 15 years. <laughs> I mean, as we all know, everything we do is just a recommendation. You know, the city can, I mean, council in the end can be like, oh, that's nice. We're just going to move on. I mean, it's always up to them. I, I mean, I am curious if we can include that in the report as a, as a, as a recommended strategy for addressing housing needs is that the city looks at a local source, a local source program to increase the availability of vouchers for people on the wait list. I mean, do you think that would be appropriate, Brianna? I, I mean, maybe we can do something like that, though. I, I think it might make more sense to to let this to, to maybe work this up a bit more and let this bake a bit more and perhaps add it as an agenda to item to a future meeting if we want to make that kind of recommendation. It It's the sort of thing that we wouldn't want to just tack onto a report at the last minute. That's what I was going to say, too. I'm put in mind of, I guess it was eye opening for me one of the last times we met and we were talking about something in the CDBG application and they seemed like a good idea and then Chrissy came and she was talking about her perspective and what that meant for them and I just I think it's good to get different sides of the issue that maybe us in this zoom room wouldn't see so I think it would probably be better to discuss it in the future and fully disclose it on the agenda so anyone who has opinions on it could come and talk about it. And the other thing is, um, in Steve's world, things are very prescribed. It's very federal, you know, and community development. And we do have CDBG and the new home ARP funding. We don't know everything about yet. So there may be more space for 
those discussions with these new funding sources. I'd be happy to come back and you know provide whatever resources I could at at a future discussion uh, in that matter. That'd be fine. Thank you. Yeah, I would also like to hear what the um, Sarah's opinion on on this because you know she also knows so much that maybe. Um, so maybe you can add it to a, like a night on the agenda to another meeting and then I'll watch the video. I was going to say, please come and make a public comment. <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, are there any more comments about this report or are we ready to vote? I'll move that we vote move to approve with uh, the understanding that we will add an agenda item to discuss options and recommendations in more depth at another meeting. Great. Okay. And then I need a second. I'll second. No, actually, yeah. Okay. Actually, that's like, we already voted, like we already made a motion and a second, right? So this is like the the way we're yep. sending it to the council. Okay, so now we vote, right, Brianna? Yep, do you want me to read names? Yes, please, okay. Okay, Kyle? Yep. Maria? Approved. Matt? Yes. Lindy? Yes. Peggy? I think you're muted, Peggy. Yes. Uh, Megan? Yes. Nasser? Yes. And Peter? Peter, you're muted if you're there. All right. Yes, I'm sorry. I don't mute myself. Alrighty, thank you. It is Okay. So uh, motion passes, and we're gonna send these uh, rec this recommendation to the council. Thank you. Um, Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Very nice to see everybody again. And mm -hmm. I look forward to any future discussions. Thanks, okay. Steve. Thank you. Okay. So now we're going to move to the next item on the agenda. And that is project monitoring. And the HCDC invites TDBG and home recipients to provide updates on project progress and learn about the agency's roles serving the community. Simon Andrew, Executive Director of the Housing Fellowship will provide an update. Hi everyone, thank you for your time. Uh, I do have a, a PowerPoint presentation tonight that uh, I'll try and run through pretty quickly. Um, I have given a copy of it to Brianna too, so uh, feel free to interrupt me or hurry me up at uh, any time you want and that information will still be there for you if uh, you would like. So I am going to pull this up. Alright. Um, it says that my screen sharing is disabled. Darn it. Okay. I might have to just do it for you. Sorry. Oh, no worries. And I can always just run through it verbally and then you have a, a paper copy of it if you want to look at it in the future. Can you see that? Let's see. Mm -hmm. Yes, I sure can. Thank you. Good deal. All right. 
So uh, the first slide here is just kind of overview of what I'm going to talk about or second slide there. Rather. Um, I will talk a little bit about the organization first um, and then go into the projects. The ones I have highlighted here are from FY19, 20, and 21. Uh, and then some commentary about um, our pandemic response. And I'll certainly echo Sarah's comments from earlier as well. Um, the highlight from this next slide here, uh, there's our mission statement at the top. Um, but the highlight here is that despite the pandemic, you know, with pro uh, projects that were already in the pipeline, uh, we grew our unit count by 26% last year, which was of course not easy to do in the environment we were doing it in. Um, which of course posed some challenges, but uh, we made it through the year, um, increasing the amount of families that we can uh, provide housing for, and uh, in some respects, uh, stabilizing ourselves uh, financially as well. Uh, next slide, please. Um, so this is our board of trustees. I only put this up to highlight that, uh, that we have to make sure, uh, largely as part of our CHOTO status, our community housing development organization status, um, uh, that uh, we have a broad range of folks represented on our board. Um, we have uh, tenants on our board, um, representatives from low-income uh, households, um, and organizations that serve um, uh, low-income families as well. Um, on top of that, we always keep you know attorneys, commercial lenders, um, and developers, realtors on our board as well. They provide uh, invaluable resources to make sure that um, we're able to provide the services that we do. Um, next slide, please. Uh, so this is our team right here. Uh, we run a, a pretty tight ship. Um, the, who I want to call out from this slide is uh, Deshandra. Um, she is our compliance specialist, and um, uh, she's a rock star at what she does. I would say that she's the, the best around at what she does. And I think that um, most of the folks that, um, that uh, are tasked with making sure that we're compliant with all the rules that we've committed to uh, would say the same thing. So. Uh, next slide, please. So here's our structure. We're technically six different organizations. We have 217 units total. Um, we just sold one last week. Um, and so our core nonprofit entity, uh, the Housing Fellowship, there are 114 properties there, um, which have uh, been acquired or constructed with a number of funding sources. Um, but that is our core nonprofit entity. The other five organizations that you see here on this chart are all low-income housing tax credit projects. Um, so those, when we undertake those projects, we have to have a, a private partner um, uh, that puts in capital up front. Um, we acquire or build these units, and um, that, uh, that partner uh, recoups their investment through federal tax credit. So we're the managing partner of those, but they are technically all different legal entities. Um, which poses some complications, um, especially um, when we're applying for, um, say, rental assistance dollars. We have to make sure that um, each of those organizations is financially funded. All right, so next slide, please. I'll get into our um, last uh, couple of years of projects. Um, so our fiscal year 19 rental rehab um, was, uh, there were four properties, four projects that, that were allocated uh, funding for. Um, uh, three of those were completed in 2019. Um, we had a fourth that we had planned to complete in 2020. Um, many of our construction projects, especially in occupied units, um, were delayed in 2020 just based on the pandemic. Uh, so the last property there, the one on Lowell Street, uh, we do have a, a bid received. We haven't entered into a contract with the vendor yet, um, but we expect that that will be done in 2021. Um, the much needed updates to that unit, a tenant that's been with us from some, for some time uh, with children in the home. And it is, um, it's important to get these uh, done. So we're, we're pleased to be able to, to move forward on these projects that have been uh, delayed somewhat. Uh, next slide, please, Brianna. Uh, this is our uh, FY20 uh, re rental rehab project. Uh, initially, there were four properties in uh, these allocated funds as well. Uh, the CARES Act, uh, as part of the federal government's pandemic response last year, uh, changed the amount of dollars uh, coming through this project that um, could be used for operations. So two of the homes that we plan to remodel with these dollars, uh, those projects were delayed, and we were able to use those dollars to backfill some of our lost rent um, from the pandemic and keep those families in their homes. Uh, so the first one to be bid out here is uh, 427 First Avenue. 
Uh, that home needs a ton of work. It's on First Avenue, just around the corner from uh, the old Hoover, just uh, down the block from City High. Um, a great location, a great home, but is in uh, pretty dilapidated condition. So that's going to be the biggest rehab project that we've done for a number of years. Again, that has gone out to bid. We have received bids uh, and plan to, to, we have one that we plan to accept um, and uh, expect that to get done in this summer as well. It says summer 2020 there, sorry, it's supposed to be 2021. Um, the other house in that uh, fiscal year is Mr. Uh, Court. That one has not been bid out yet. Uh, the uh, repairs necessary on First Avenue um, were such that we wanted to make sure that we had that one bid out first because we expected that that one was going to take the lion's share of the funding uh, that we have available. Uh, both of these homes have dollars from um, our nonprofit entity in them. Um, we are putting uh, skin in the game for these. And there was uh, money allocated from the Housing Trust Fund of Johnson County, too. Um, so that is uh, the one way that we keep these homes both kept up well and affordable is uh, compiling a number of those um, funding sources. So the last rehab, uh, sorry, next slide there. Uh, the next uh, rehab that I'm going to talk about again was delayed a little bit. This one, uh, uh, we were happy to be able to help out another nonprofit organization with. Um, these are, uh, it's a duplex on Taylor Drive. Um, the, the repairs to these units are not as extensive as some of the other ones that we're doing. It's largely, um, besides the HVAC and the water heater, it's largely cosmetic repairs. Um, however, after we were obligated funds um, for this project, uh, the Fairweather Lodge experienced a fire. Uh, that's a shelter house property that had six tenants in it. Uh, and that building was a total loss for shelter house. Um, so since we hadn't started on this project yet, um, we uh, were able to, and it was currently vacant, we were able to enter an agreement with Shelter House that they can use this property for those six tenants, those six clients of Shelter House um, for a year while they figure out whether they're rebuilding their previous property or acquiring a different home um, for these clients of theirs. So the soonest that we would uh, undertake this project is March of 2022. Um, and uh, our agreement with Shelter House runs through that month. So um, it, it was uh, it was really important both to be able to reallocate some of that FY21 funding um, and uh, be able to help out again another local nonprofit. Uh, next slide here. This one kind of combines our um, pandemic response with a, a thank you for our uh, the operational dollars that we get through our uh, our Chodo status. Um, so first, I just want to mention that uh, early on in the pandemic, uh, we donated the use of four of our vacant units to the Domestic Violence Intervention Program. Uh, they were trying to get folks out of their uh, group shelter um, in order to uh, alleviate some risk for uh, a coronavirus spread. Um, one of, or two of those units rather, is that duplex on Taylor that uh, Shelter House is uh, currently occupying. Um, another thing I wanted to mention is that we're currently working through a backlog of maintenance requests. Um, like I said, you know, over the course of the last year, we've really been trying to only go in occupied units when it was absolutely necessary. And in many cases, that was you know, at the request of our tenants. So um, for more minor repairs, we do have a, a backlog of maintenance. And again, that's where the, the operational support um, really uh, shows up in our units. Um, this next, the next two points uh, speak to the topic that Sarah Barron brought up is that we are currently working closely with our tenants to um, apply for that program. Um, you know, our office manager, it's essentially become her full time job. Uh, Sarah has noted to you all of the, the hiccups and complications and getting that uh, program rolling, getting dollars actually out the door. Um, we have had a number of uh, tenants who have had their past due balance paid. But even after those um, approved requests and after we have that money, um, we still have over $170,000 in past due rent. Um, and so reallocating those project dollars, uh, being allowed to reallocate those project dollars to keep our operations going um, while we're able to float those tenants who are currently unable to pay uh, has been critical. Um, the, the delay in these rent assistance dollars um, the impact it has on the families living in our homes cannot be understated. It has been um, really terrifying for a lot of the families. Now, fortunately, again, we've 
flexibility to, to be able to keep them in their homes um, and keep them, you know, through donations or other social assistance programs, keeping them current. Um, but I want to make very clear, um, again, something that Sarah had mentioned earlier, that we look at this uh, program as being primarily for us, not just um, making sure families are able to stay current on their rent. It keeps us able to um, keep our operations going. It allows us to pay our contractors that we need to work on our homes. It allows us to pay back our banks that we have, you know, you know close to $6 million in debt on these homes that we need to um, keep current on those payments. Um, we had to delay, uh, we'll go to quarterly payments on a couple of our insurance policies rather than paying a lump sum for an annual payment uh, just on based on cash flow issues. So, um, again, just as Sarah said, this is an economic stimulus program, and the uh, delay and the kind of view of it as being solely a social service program has been um, very frustrating for us. So you know, we're very happy that those dollars are um, beginning to get pushed out the door, and uh, to pat ourselves on the back, we were involved with uh, the Iowa Finance Authority and their third party IT vendor in improving the application and improving some of the communication to landlords. Um, I do believe that there are a lot of fixes that still need to happen, but um, that we were involved in that process and we are, are proud of the improvements that we helped made there, make there. Um, next slide, please. All right, Delray Ridge, this is one of our LIHTC projects. This was our biggest project uh, to date uh, as an organization. This is a 33-unit building on Dubuque Street. Um, I believe that I, I presented to you about this project last year. Um, it was still under construction at that point. Um, we were able to, with some scrambling, get it 100% leased up uh, the week of uh, the Christmas holiday last year. Um, which, again, uh, took a good deal of scrambling, and um, had we not met that deadline, that would have put some of the tax credits at risk that our nonprofit entity would have had to pay back to our um, investing partner. Uh, it's a mixed-income building. There are um, units everywhere from roughly $300 up to closer to $1,200 for those units. Uh, that equates to 30% AMI, um, up to four market rate units in that building. Uh, and that's something that, as an organization, we take very uh, seriously. Um, by and large, we are a, a scattered site housing provider. We like that our, our units are spread out all over Johnson County uh, and that uh, they integrate very well into neighborhoods. So, you know, as I'm discussing projects with a contractor or looking to get bids for a rehab, we frequently get the commentary, oh, I love that house. It's a beautiful house. I didn't realize that, that was a, a fellowship property. So. Um, you know, this is a single apartment building, but we really do think that the um, economic integration uh, is an important you know, piece, both for us uh, and our tenants and the community school district uh, as a whole. Uh, this unit or this building also has five accessible units in it, uh, accessible showers, bathrooms, kitchens, um, which is something that uh, we also see that the market very much needs. Um, I mentioned the Hills Bank is our uh, limited partner on this project. Uh, they provided uh, $4.2 million up front uh, to get this uh, building going, uh, to retire the construction loan debt. And over the course of the next 10 years, uh, they will see federal tax credits that uh, recoup their investment. Um, the city of Iowa City was also instrumental in getting this project moving forward, as well as the Housing Trust Fund of Johnson County. Uh, they provided the loan uh, with which we bought the, the land. Uh, initially. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, this is the last uh, slide here before I ask if you have any questions, but um, I just want to highlight uh, this note in particular, um, which isn't uncommon to get notes like this from our tenants, but um, this one came at a very uh, stressful time for us. It was just as we were uh, wrapping up Delray, um, you know, with a fear that we were going to owe a half a million dollars to refund. Uh, tax credits, and um, you know, it was really nice to be to be thanked for our hard work. Uh, this particular tenant, we um, bought her out of her previous lease. Um, and we had our staff help her move, um, and we're able to get her in in a very cold week when she was uh, 
afraid that she wasn't going to have uh, anywhere else to go. So um, I always want to include something like this, just to thank you all for all of your work. You know, we we manage these properties, but you know, without partners such as the city, um, without federal dollars, trust fund, all of our local partners, we wouldn't be able to make this happen. So the last slide, just asking for questions there. Um, photos of some of our properties, but uh, happy to open it up to any questions for me, any comments, um, or any follow-up that you would like from us. Again, thank you for your time. Thank you, Simon. Does anyone have any comments? I do. Um, Simon, the, the data-driven work that you presented to us is, is amazing. But I just I have to thank you for humanizing and really closing your presentation with the fact that this is all about people and their dignity and that person's no genuinely it just it strikes home uh, I guess pun intended right and um, just thank you for including that because it's the weight of all this work is so enormous, but then it becomes so easy to make it mission driven when you see who you're helping. So I just thank you so much for including that. Oh, thank you very much for saying that. Yeah, it's really easy in my role to get bogged down. That's really why we do it. That's Yes, Simon, this is uh, Shapiro. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you for the uh, very nice presentation of your organization. I am really proud of uh, what you accomplished in your organization. Uh, good job, Matt. This is a quick question about, I, I saw you, uh, the report says uh, you have over $170,000 in back rent. I, I just wonder, do you know how many of your tenants are, uh, applied for the, uh, the IFA program so you can recoup some of those losses? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, currently, we have roughly 70 applications to the IFA program. I believe eight have been paid out, um, which mostly started last week, the week before last. Um, as Sarah said, it's been moving uh, more quickly than it did in the past, and ACAP staff have been very good to work with. Uh, it's helpful to have somebody locally that we're familiar with who's actually reviewing the cases. Um, part of the reason why I think they're moving a little bit quicker now is um, communication has improved. That uh, database that they're using has improved a little bit. It's still a, a heck of an application. It's a lot to uh, ask folks for, and um, I question sometimes the, the amount of information the tenants are being asked for. Um, again, you know, it seems like they're more concerned with um, making sure that not one penny it goes to uh, somebody who wouldn't necessarily qualify as opposed to um, using it for what I think the dollars were intended for, which was economic stimulus, was to make sure that all of us from the tenant all the way through our banks, uh, you know, the gears don't stop turning. Um, but like I said, we have about 70 applications in. Uh, we have many more than um, we plan to submit. Um, we started with the highest past due balances back before this program was even active. We were reaching out to our tenants in January and February when we knew that this program was coming. Um, we had um, many ready to go. That was part of our frustration with the program early on is, um, you know, we were following all the guidance that we had been given and then the application changed after it went live. The amount of information that they were asking for changed after it went live. Um, some of the rules, um, like applying for future rent, uh, initially they had indicated that uh, a person could apply for three months future rent, uh, they had taken away. Uh, they almost immediately changed that policy. So um, 
our frustrations are largely policy driven. Um, we again have had about eight out of 70 um, uh, paid out, but somewhere in April, we stopped really pushing with our tenants to submit new applications um, because of all the, because of the shifting ground and, um, and us being kind of unsure. We didn't want to make people think dollars were going to be available for them if we weren't certain that they were going to be. Um, IFA staff has indicated that they expect dollars to be in this program through September of 2022. Um, I do not know what they're basing that estimate on. Um, and I understand that the state, uh, I've been told that the state uh, may not take uh, another allocation from the federal government that could be used for this purpose, um, that they don't plan to accept those dollars. Um, so that's a long way to say, yeah, about 70 applications. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I have a question for Sema. Yes. Uh, thank you for providing us with this nice and informative presentation. I am familiar with the Section 8. Is this project work the same way as the Section 8 or has some differences also? How to apply for it? Sure. Sure. Um, we're more of, we're a nonprofit entity, but you can think of us more as a typical as a property owner manager. So we own and manage units that um, we've cobbled together over the course of 30 years with um, some public dollars and private dollars, um, buying some homes or constructing some homes, um, but we're the landlord. So section eight is a voucher, is a, a payment that um, voucher holders can use to pay their rent with any landlord willing to accept it. Um, and we do have tenants that are voucher holders. So some of our tenants pay their rent to us using the vouchers that come from CREX's office. Um, so yeah, a good chunk of our tenants uh, do have vouchers, but uh, they are separate programs. Uh, we're not uh, a government program, we're a private nonprofit. I'm sorry, did that answer your question? Yes, it does. Also, I have another question. I sure. said how to apply for it. Oh, that's right. Um, so again, kind of similar to a typical landlord, we have a, uh, a brief application that you fill out and uh, let us know who your previous landlords were. And um, we do a check back three years on uh, previous landlord references. Um, ours is a little more extensive than a typical landlord in that for most of our units, we have to know what the tenant's household income is uh, to make sure that they're qualified to uh, live in our units to make sure that they don't make too much money to live in a unit that was paid for using government dollars, basically. Um, and so, yeah, ours is a little more extensive, but it's a just an application that you submit to our office to say, I'm looking to rent an apartment. Um, once we get through the landlord reference checks, and we are in most cases required to do uh, criminal background checks, um, once we get through that process, then we start looking at whatever vacant units we have um, that might meet that household's needs. Uh, we have everything from one-bedroom units up to you know five-bedroom houses. Um, we tend to the lion's share of our homes are two and three-bedroom, either single-family homes, duplexes, or townhomes. Um, but yeah, it's basically like applying for an apartment with any landlord. Other than with most of our homes, we have to check what your income is and make households verify what their income is. Thank you. You're welcome. Does anybody else has any comments? No. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, you also for, your, for your time. Think of a question in the meantime, don't hesitate to reach out. Okay, thank you. So long. Have a good evening. Thanks, Simon. Okay. Um, now we're in the agenda item number six. <clears throat> and this is the, we're in number six, right? Yeah, affordable, they have affordable housing steering committee update from the HCDC representative. So, Commissioner.
Can you hear me okay? I was going to ask, is anyone else having trouble hearing Peter? Yeah. Unfortunately, yes. It's very bouncy. I'm having a hard time. Sorry, I don't have a good connection here. I don't, I'm not sure how we're going to do this. If you can't hear me, uh, Rihanna, I can submit a written report instead. If that's that be okay. Good. Yeah, sorry, we can't hear you, but that might be a good alternative in the meantime. We can always pick up the discussion next time as well. Yeah, I'm very sorry about that. Yeah, sorry, Peter. Hello. Oh, sorry. I lost the connection of the other headphones. Okay. So, um, can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you. We were just okay. saying that Peter suggested submitting a written update to the commission okay. and then possibly picking it up next time since we're having trouble with the audio. Okay. Okay, thank you, Peter. I'm sorry you're having trouble. Um, okay, so we're gonna move to number eight, housing and community development information. No, oh, sorry, no, we're in number seven, right? Um, Iowa City Council meeting update. <laughs> this is, that's me. Two commissioners are assigned each, oh no, that's, this is the city updates. Okay, two commissioners are assigned each month to monitor council meetings. This agenda item provides an opportunity to review assignment schedule for uh, brief updates on city council activity relevant to the HCDC um, business. Commissioners should not engage in discussion with one another concerning said item. I was thinking the last time we met when we scheduled out these updates, I feel like we've exceeded that time frame. So I wanted to ask if you guys want to assign a commissioner to new meetings or how do we feel about the council updates? Yeah, I guess. You guys, it's up to you because I'm not, I'm not gonna be here. <laughs> so you know, it's your decision. Like, what, what do you think? Do you want to keep doing this or not? I, I tend to find them. I mean, I tend to find the updates useful. I, I, I find them them um, most useful when they are sort of. Um, kind of narrowly focused on the one or two agenda items that are about housing and least useful when they are a summary of, of, of a lot of things that happened at the at the meeting. So I mean I I think they tend to be best when they're um, you know a couple of a couple of good points about um, the the most whatever the most relevant issue was at the meeting. That that that's been my sense. I would agree with that and and think that also it's entirely legit that if the meeting did not focus on things that were relevant for our commission, we can say it was an interesting meeting, nothing relevant for us and move on. We don't need to still, and I'm guilty of it, like, oh, here's all the stuff. We don't need to do all the stuff. It's just, is it relevant for HCDC? And if it's not, we can say it was a great meeting. You can read the notes. And move on. You can also say it wasn't a great meeting too. <laughs> yeah, there, there's that too. <laughs> there's, and in all fairness, Matt, there are definitely moments where that's true. So, but I, I, I think it is useful. Um, I would say having, you know, Maria and I got on at the same time and, and we didn't do this initially. And there were moments of surprise because we're not keeping up with things that have made it to council. So, I, I think that that is really useful for us to know what's on the radar, um, the way in which things are presented, things like that. But um, we don't need to be exhaustive. She says being exhaustive. This is Lindy, I, I agree too. Um, I think I was one of those guilty ones that I wasn't really sure what my role was. So I think I probably shared extra things, um, but I like, um, just sharing one or two highlights or, or it doesn't pertain to us this time. 
So, but I did, I did, I do find value when people are reporting on the council meetings. So we probably should, um, if you guys want to continue doing this, we should probably find people for the, maybe the next three, three months. And then, you know, uh, you guys continue to vote. So we would need someone who, like we would need two commissioners to do that in July. Does anybody want to like um, check the meetings, the city council meetings of July? I can, uh, I can volunteer for the next one is. Okay. And I can- I'm not sure whether that's the week after when, when that is, but whenever the next one is. Yeah. I could take up August. Okay, great. September is gonna be kind of not so good. It can yeah. be in August too. August or September. Okay. That should at least get us started. We can always revisit. Okay. Okay, great. <clears throat> so I think we can move now to the next item on the agenda. That's number eight. So housing and community development information. A special thank you to our outgoing commission members, Maria Padron and Peggy Aguilar, um, for their service to the community. Commissioners should not engage in discussion with one another concerning said items. Yeah, yeah. so I, can I say thank you Please. to everyone? It's been like so great being in this commission. I'm gonna be moving to the Planning and Zoning Commission so, so I really hope that, you know, we can continue the conversation. My main interest is still going to be um, affordable housing. I'm very concerned about um, that topic. So I think combining, you know, code and uh, planning and zoning and like the programs that you guys will manage or like recommend to the council, I think maybe combining those two things, we could do great work. So I hope that you all have my cell phone and my email and you can contact me anytime if you wanna meet for coffee or have a Zoom meeting or anything and we can talk. Um, you know, I like seeing all of you. I'll try to keep watching the meetings. Um, yeah. Peggy, do you have something I'd to also, say? I'd also like to thank you. I, this has been so educational. And I've learned so much and I appreciate all of you. And again, thank you for this time. I, I'm glad I've, I've done this and been part of it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay. Okay. So now I think I need a motion to adjourn the meeting. I have just a couple of things I'll share quick. Oh yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say also thank you to both of you. I know the meetings are a big commitment, but then also with this commission, there's a lot of reading and extra time invested. So thank you. It was really good to get to know you both, although we still haven't met in a room in person. So I feel like that should change at some point. Yeah. Um, let's see. So the next meeting will be welcoming two new commissioners, Becky Reedus and Caleb Baining. So we'll do officer nominations um, and then we can pick up the agenda item we talked about today. As far as announcements, we have Erica on maternity leave. So I'm flying solo here for a couple months. Um, I wanted to update you that the Little Creations Academy project is under an agreement now. So that's good. That's moving forward. Um, the city hired a new rehab specialist for, um, he does a lot of work in the South District program. His name is Doug Black. So if you see him out and about, make sure you say hello. And then you may have seen in the packet, there was a HUD notice that they retracted that policy change that HCDC sent a letter about at one point. So I wanted to give you an update on that. Um, and that is included in the packet. And then last but not least, I just wanted to share some of the Juneteenth events going on. There's a little celebration going on outside um, City Hall right now. So 
Um, and the last page of the packet, there's some other events, virtual and in person, depending on your comfort level to kind of celebrate Juneteenth. So that's that. Thank you. Thank you, Brianna. Yeah. Okay, great. I think Juneteenth is going to be a national holiday now, right? Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. So then so, I need a motion to adjourn or like an echo. I'll move. I'll move that. Okay. Or, I'll, or I'll second Megan, whichever one. Okay, great. So meeting adjourn. Contact me for coffee. <laughs>